Good morning. Welcome to our worship service this morning. It's good to see all of you here. Uh, we do welcome you. I know we have some guests with us here this morning, and we, we do welcome you. And especially want to say uh, welcome to uh, Reverend Jackson and his wife, Mackenzie. We are very excited about having them here with us this morning. As you know, Dr. Walls has been out for a few weeks, and uh, Jackson is with us this morning. He's going to bring the morning message, and we're very excited about that. I think most of you know uh, Jackson. I think you do. Uh, he grew up here and uh, from this area, grew up in this church, so we are very excited to have him here. Uh, I do have several announcements, things I want to highlight in the bulletin. First of all, I want to start by just saying uh, a little word about Bible school. We did have Bible school this past week, and it was a, a great week, very successful week from my viewpoint. And uh, matter of fact, I'll let, if Mary's in here, I think Mary had a few things she wanted to say about Bible school. I'll let her talk about it instead of me. Instead of me. Have you ever been a part of something, and when you got done, you were like, wow, Lord, that was totally you? Well, that's what Bible school was this week, because the Lord blew my socks off. I, I think I speak for everybody on the Bible school committee. Um, we had a fantastic group of kids. We didn't have any discipline problems. There were between 100 and 110 kids every night, um, Monday through Thursday, there was an offering of $419.10 taken up for the Yoders. We had three kids rededicate their lives for Jesus. We gave out 12 Bibles to kids who didn't have any. And um, the best news of all, so I'm just going to prepare you. If you've ever had a time where you thought, I should have said amen, this is it. So be ready. Eleven kids made the decision to give their life to Jesus Christ this week. Amen. That was awesome. Um, and I just want to say on behalf of the committee, just thank you so much for everybody. We had about 50 to 75 workers each night, and we couldn't have done it without any of them. Um, so we really appreciate everybody who prayed, everybody who helped, everybody who set up, who cleaned up, who took down. Anything you did, we appreciate it because we needed all the help we could get. Um, so thank you so much, and to God be the glory for this week. Mary. have just a couple other uh, reminders. Uh, one is for the Board of Stewards. Uh, we did have to push our meeting back. And just reminding you that it is tomorrow night here in the Fellowship Hall at 7 o'clock. Uh, just a reminder to the Board of Stewards. Also, one final note. Uh, I know we've already uh, mentioned this. We had our graduation ceremony here at church, but just a, another congratulations to our graduates. Uh, high school and college. Uh, congratulations to them on that achievement and uh, let's continue to pray for them as they uh, move forward in this next step because all of us that have been there know it's an exciting time and it's also a time of, of uh, uncertainty in some areas. But we say congratulations to them, how proud we are of them and let's just continue to pray for them as they move forward. Were there any other announcements that need to be made this morning from the congregation? If not, let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful and thankful to you for your many blessings on us and as a people and as a church. And we again just thank you for the opportunity we have to be here together, the freedom we have to be here, Lord, that uh, we can come and worship openly. We don't have to worry about persecution, but we understand there are many in this world that do face that. We lift them up to you, Lord, and just ask that you would be with them and comfort them and strengthen them. And even through that time of persecution, they would stand firm uh, in their faith in you. I pray the same for us, Lord, that through whatever we face, our faith would be strengthened. I pray for this service this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of all that are in attendance. And what is said and done would be used by you to, to draw us closer to you, that we would take what is heard from your word and apply it in our lives. And we ask by the power of your spirit that you would make us better servants for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to do something a little different for the call to worship. Um, in just a minute I'm going to invite uh, a few of the young people up. This week at Bible school, we, these two groups sang a song, In Christ Alone, which many of you are probably familiar with. Some of you may not be. But we're going to change up the call to worship this morning. We're going to invite them up, and if they'll come up now, this is the, uh, I believe, Young Teen Girls and the Senior High group. We sang this song this week, and we're going to sing it this morning for the call to worship. And about midway through... We're going to invite you to stand up and those who know it can join with us and those who don't can read the words on the screen and join with us, okay? But we're going to 
We're going to have the call to worship now in Christ alone. stand and join us on these next few
Now that y'all are all comfortable sitting, I'm going to get y'all to stand again. <laughs> Grab your hymn books and turn to page 473, Victory in Jesus. I believe we all know this. Just a minute and talk to some people. Tell them you're glad to see I suppose your pastor normally would be standing in this spot, but I just want to stand in in his place today and just welcome you here and say what how delighted we are to be here today. Thankful for this church, your testimony for the gospel in this community. Uh, I thank often of you and pray for you and your pastor and your leadership here. 
and uh, it's uh, just a privilege to be here, and I find that you can minister to people better when you've been praying for them, and so we uh, just pray the Lord will be honored in the time we have together today. Uh, why don't we take a moment and bow together, and let's just kind of summon to mind some of the needs of the church family, of the community, of our world, and let's just commit this time once again to him and to his glory. Our Father, we again thank you for the privilege of being here. And as we come into this place, we come here not as people who are uh, deserving of your grace and your mercy, uh, but we come here as sinners in need of your uh, daily cleansing power, the forgiveness of sins you offer through Christ. And Lord, it may be that uh, there's someone here in our midst today that has come and uh, does not have that assurance of salvation that they so desperately need. Maybe it's not even on their spiritual radar at this point in time. Uh, we pray today would be the day of salvation for them. But Lord, as your church gathers, we recognize we're in a place with many believers. And as we come together, we know that even though we have been made, been made saints because of what you've done for us, we are still sinners. And we still uh, foul up and we still go astray and we need, again, that restoration that only you can provide. And so I pray that for this church body today, you will give us what we need, that you will draw us close to you and close to each other. And we pray again that you'll be lifted up in this time. We think today not only about what's happening within the four walls of this building, but what's happening in your church throughout the world today. We know that these are very anxious times. These are very scary times because of so many things taking place, things we don't understand, things we can't control, and yet it's so good to be able to put those things in your hand and just to trust you for everything. We pray a special help and blessing to be upon the persecuted church throughout the world, that even today you'll give them a sense of peace knowing that they are serving the one true and risen Lord. We pray that as persecution comes to us, that you'll give us the strength to bear up underneath the pressure, to bind together, and to recommit ourselves just to continue to do your work no matter what may happen. Lord, we pray for the ill and infirmed in this church family, those that perhaps are wandering spiritually, uh, maybe those that are going through very difficult trials that no one else here knows about. We pray you'll add your strength and help to their life today, and we pray Above all, that the word as it's preached and sung and prayed that, again, we'll do it in a way that pleases you. And we ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Ushers, if you would please come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we just simply say thank you for the many things you've blessed us with. And we just ask, Lord, that as you continue to bless us, we would be good stewards of all you've given us, whether it be money, time, opportunities, whatever it might be, Lord, we would use it in a way that, that honors you and glorifies you. We pray now that as we give this portion back that you would take it, that you would use it for your honor, for your glory, and for the furtherance of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Grab your hymn books again. Hymn number 527. And as we sing this song, we'll dismiss our children and our children's workers to their place of service. And then we're going to turn our service over to, to Brother Jackson here as he brings God's word to us. Everybody stand, please. Let me invite you this morning, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 3. Proverbs chapter number 3. Very familiar passage of Scripture. And again, as you turn there, just thanks so much to the leadership of the church for having me back. Uh, it's always a good sign to go somewhere. And, you know, in a way, it's not a big deal getting to go someplace once, but getting to go back later, uh, that's a sign you didn't mess things up completely. Uh, or at least the damage had been repaired since your last visit and they were willing to take a risk on you again. So good to be here and uh, in just a moment we'll read together from Proverbs 3, a very familiar passage of scripture. But as we begin I want you to ha engage in a little spiritual exercise with me just very briefly. I want you to turn to your neighbor beside you or whoever's closest to you. If you're over here, don't look at the wall, look the other way. If you're on your own side and say to your neighbor, God bless you. Now that's something that actually I would say you probably hear out in public as much as you do in a, in a church setting. Uh, somebody will sneeze and a polite person nearby will say, oh, God bless you. Or sometimes maybe you help somebody who's stranded beside the road and they will say, God bless you. Uh, why, why do people say things like that? Why do Christian people say things like that? Hopefully, it's basically the fact that we're not just interested in God blessing us, but we want for God's blessings to be shared with other people. As a disciple of Christ, we care for others. We care not just for our Christian brothers and sisters, but we care for all of those who would be our neighbors. We want to see God's hand of blessing on their life. 
I, I think about Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29 when the Lord tells him, even as his own people are in this wicked pagan land known as Babylon, the Lord tells Jeremiah to tell the people, uh, you seek the blessing of this place that you're in. Seek the welfare of that city. Uh, you pray God's ble my blessings on that people. And so just many verses like that show us that God cares about people. He cares about all people. Now, here's the thing. If we're going to talk about blessing other people, being a blessing to others, this is a matter that we need to know something about as well. We as Christians need to have some idea of how God's blessings work, how He blesses our lives, how He intends for us to be a blessing to others. And so throughout the scriptures we learn a great deal about this topic. I would say the word blessing or blessed probably appears in the book of Psalms more than anywhere else. And we find out about the blessed man or the blessed woman and the way that they live their lives and what that looks like. But then you come over to the book of Proverbs and we learn about the fact that the blessed man or the blessed woman is a wise man or woman. The blessed man has become the wise man or woman. In other words, they're a person that has chosen a certain path, the path that God has carved out for their lives, not the path that they've carved out for themselves. You see, this is a really important issue for we as Christians to get our minds around because, let's be honest, we care about this. We want to be blessed. We want to be happy, which is another kind of word for blessedness. We want that. It's one of the reasons why books written by Christian authors such as Your Best Life Now and You're Supposed to Be Wealthy, both best-selling titles by uh, Christian television personalities. There's a reason why books like that sell in the millions. It's because we want to live that kind of life. But here's the challenge for us, church. First challenge is this. What happens when our definition of being blessed and God's definition of being blessed don't line up? What happens when your own ideas about things crowd out what the Bible says about what it means to live a blessed life. To put it another way, what happens when we want to be blessed, but we let our dreams and our ambitions and our desires, we let that crowd out God's ideas about how you attain blessedness? It's a real issue to think about because what will happen is if you don't think about blessedness in the way God defines it, either one you'll set out to seek something out in your life that you think will satisfy and then either A, you will never attain it and you will be disappointed or maybe you will get it. But then that won't really satisfy because that's not how God intended to bless the human life, to bless the lives of His children. So it's very critical that we think biblically about this matter so that we can enjoy God's blessing so that we can enjoy fellowship with Him and union with Him. And let me just put this very important caveat over this message. If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, this can be a very risky message for you. Because you can look at Proverbs 3 and say, well, let me just get my checklist out and let me just do these things and then I'll be blessed. No, it starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's from that that the, the, the doorway opens up to God's blessings. You know, God protects us and looks after people that aren't even His children sometimes. But again, the true path to blessedness is starting out with a relationship with Him, having given ourselves over to Him, having been saved from sin, saved from hell, saved from all manner of things that come to us apart from Christ. And then, and then the doorway then the path to blessedness opens up to us. And so that being said, I want to ask you if you would to stand with me as we reverence the reading of God's Word. And let's read Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 12. And I'm reading from the English Standard Versions. should be very familiar to what many of you have there in your hand. My son, do not forget my teaching, let your heart keep, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as the father, the son in whom he delights. This is God's word for us this morning. You can be seated. In this passage, we find about six very basic things that are in this path to blessedness, in this path to the kind of spiritual happiness and wholeness that we need to live the life that God is calling us to, the life that He's inviting us to. The very beginning here is a very simple thing, very straightforward. It is simply that we must listen closely. We've got to listen to sound instruction, in other words. That's what he says here in verse number 1. This is Solomon writing this, perhaps to his son David, but because it's inspired scripture, this is really the voice of God speaking to his people. And very, from the very outset, he simply says, don't forget the good things that you've been taught. You've got to listen closely. You've got to hang on to these things that you've been told if you want to have the blessed life, the length of days and years of life and the peace that God wants to give. Now, in a way... This is kind of straightforward, right? We know that any good child needs to listen to mom and to dad. We know as Christians we need to listen to the Lord. But it's very important that we look at this from the right angle because if you're not careful, you will just see this God who's given this instruction as some sort of just rule giver who's just always trying to restrict our lives, always trying to put up boundaries that we can't cross. But I'll remind you that the God that we serve, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He cares about you, not just in terms of your outward behavior, but He cares about your whole self. He cares about everything that you are. He cares about your thoughts. He cares about your feelings, your emotions, the things that excite you, the things that you love. And yes, He cares about what you actually do in lived practice. He cares about all of that. So I want to warn you from the outset that we need to make sure we understand that when we look at Jesus Christ, we are seeing the perfect evidence that God is a personal God because He took on flesh. He walked among us. Jesus listened to people and He talked to people and He confronted them at times and He wept with them. The reason why we don't need to neglect the instruction that God wants to give us is to know that God wants us to know the truth so we can walk in the path that leads to fullness of life. Again, that's what verse 2 is calling us uh, our attention to. Length of days, years of life, and peace they will add to you. Now, by the way, that second verse there, it's not just talking about quantity. Because we all know good people who die what we would say is early in life. The emphasis there is on the manner of the quality the type of life that we lead. And these are Proverbs, so it is telling us this is what generally tends to hold true over time, not in all situations, because we can think of other examples even in the Bible of good people who died, again, what we would say is prematurely. But it's the quality of life that God gives us when we listen to Him. The second thing that we see here in verses 3 and 4 is that we don't just need to listen closely, we need to love deeply. We need to love deeply. In other words, it's like the first one. It's not just that God cares about what you do outwardly. He cares about your inner life. He doesn't just care about the life lived out that other people see. He sees not just what you do, but He sees why you do what you do. Now, if you watch people long enough, you might can learn a little bit about what makes them tick. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you listen to people and they're all the time saying bad things, well, you can learn a little bit about their inner life. But only God really sees the heart. And so notice in verse 3 when he says, Let not steadfast love, that's kind of another way of talking about mercy and faithfulness or what you might say truthfulness or even loyalty, 
let this not forsake you, he's talking about qualities of the heart. The type of affection and concern, the kind of kindness that we have toward other people. And then the loyalty and commitment we have toward the truth. That's what he means by faithfulness there. Or again, truth sometimes is the word you find. And notice the language, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So it's not just that we would say, well, you know, it, it would be good to be a virtuous person. It would be good to be a person of character, but we're actually making decisions in our life that line up with that. David Brooks is a columnist for the New York Times, and he is not a person of any kind of faith, but he has written a very interesting book called The Road to Character. It's been featured in a lot of news outlets. You may have seen it. He describes it this way, and I think he's right. He says, you have the resume virtues in life, and then you have the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the things that you, most people spend most time on. The kind of things you would put on a resume to impress people who might hire you. People that you might want to go into business with. Things that you, know, you kind of want people to see about you. Your skills, your education, uh, your ability to stand before people and maybe have a presence. You know, someone who's big enough to fill the room, you might say. But then you have the eulogy virtues. Those are the things that people say about you at your funeral. This person was kind. This person was sacrificial. This person was patient. This person was so loving and tender. And what Brooks says is, you know, it's funny because we all know deep down the eulogy virtues are the most important ones, but we spend all the time on the resume virtues. What I think the, the author here of Proverbs is calling our attention to is that we need to spend time thinking about what the Lord sees when He looks at us. Who we are in the depths of our being. That we would spend time on those eulogy virtues. That you would recognize that if you're a Christian, your journey has just begun. If you're here in this space this morning, the Lord is not done making you into the person He wants you to be. That journey, that lifelong journey, we call that sanctification. Uh, it's a long Bible word, but it's a Bible word, so we ought to know it. It's a process of maturing and developing and growing and being shaped into the person God wants us to be. Notice the promise that comes with that. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Isn't it amazing that even people that don't know the Lord, even just people in general society, they appreciate it when you live a godly life. Yes, some people kind of mock it and some people ridicule it, but a lot of people, when they look at it and they see the way you're caring and you're giving and you're interested in their life and in their concerns, they appreciate that. And they come to the funerals of people like that, even if they might not ever come into a church building for any other reason. That makes a difference. So we need to listen closely. We also need to love deeply. But notice verses 5 and 6. We need to trust completely. Trust completely. I bet you there's some folks in this room that can quote these verses by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. It's amazing because so many times the reason why we don't trust the Lord is we think we kind of have an idea about what a better path is. But the scriptures say that if we want to walk in that right path, if we want the straight path that's going to lead to blessedness, we've got to trust the Lord with everything. There's not one square inch of your life that the Lord doesn't care about. There's not one area of your life. We, we kind of do this thing where we kind of put things in compartments and we say, well, you know, this is my career box and this is my child rearing box and this is my marriage box and this is my vacation box and, you know, and we, we have these boxes in our mind and they never intersect, but the Lord is Lord over all of that because that's part of who you are. He cares about every one of those areas of life and you have to be willing to transfer trust from yourself to the Lord. It's amazing how even Christian people, we can trust God to save us from the pit of hell, but we don't trust Him with our finances. We don't trust Him with child-rearing counsel from the Word. We don't trust Him with figuring out how we're going to carry out the ministry of the church. We, we've got better ideas about that than God's Word. 
It's amazing. We will trust the Lord to save our souls, but not to guide our lives. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Everything, every way, every path you take, acknowledge Him. And I want to encourage you on this. A very helpful practice I find is even if you spend most of your time in prayer at the end of the day going over your prayer list, I want to encourage you Christians spend a little bit more time on the front end of the day, of the day praying. As you get in the car and drive to work or you set out in your day, you pray because the whole day is ahead of you. A whole series of decisions are ahead of you. The interactions you're going to have with people, all of that's out ahead of you. Why not give it all to the Lord on the front end of the day so that as you're going through your day, the Lord is preparing you. And you've already given it all to Him. You said, I trust you with everything. I trust you to help me in these conversations I'm going to have. I trust you with, with, with everything that's going to happen in this particular day. So don't try to figure out everything on your own. Prayerfully approach God in His Word. Ask for wisdom. And that re leads right into verses 7 and 8. This is where we get into a couple of other very key things that we need to do. And I would say in verses 7 and 8, the emphasis here is that we would know yourself. That we would know ourselves. The ancient Greeks would say, know thyself. Notice verse number 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That first phrase there is really important. That's one of the reasons why we don't trust the Lord with everything. We think we're pretty smart. We think we're pretty wise. We think we've got life on a string. We've got the world by the tail. And yet, day by day, circumstance by circumstance, we figure out, boy, I don't have it all figured out. Now, we may not say that out loud, but we're thinking, what am I going to do in this situation? What am I going to do? Know yourself. Be not wise in your own eyes. You need, we need to start off with a clear sense of knowing we have limitations. Now, we live in a country where we tell our young people, you can do anything you want to do. And we mean well when we say that, do we not? But you know what? There are certain things that I cannot do, no matter how big I dream. I would love to be able to jump over this building. Can't do it. Now, why is that? Because that's not the way God has designed human beings. God has designed human beings with limits. There are certain things we just can't do. But you know, we have even deeper limits than that, and that is the limits of sinfulness. So that's why even dreaming big can be a dangerous thing, because you know what? Jackson Watts doesn't always want the things he ought to want. You know that? And if you're honest, I think a lot of us would say that about ourselves too. Sometimes I want things that, you know, probably in retrospect aren't very good for me. And sometimes we know that in the immediate time when we say I want this, but many times it's later after we've failed miserably and we got what we wanted and it didn't, didn't deliver on what we thought it would. We need to realize that we are not all wise and that we have evil to turn away from in our lives. Notice what's right in the middle of those two things. Fear the Lord. That's what it all comes down to, really. It's the right perspective on the Lord because if you see the Lord as good and gracious and holy and perfect and excellent, what that will do is that will begin to help you put your life in perspective. The author of Ecclesiastes puts it this way in Ecclesiastes 5. He says, he says that God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, you should let your words be few. God's the only one in this room that's in a really privileged position. He sees our yesterdays and he sees our tomorrows. He sees it all. He knows our limits. He knows our opportunities. He knows our tendencies. He's in the best position to guide our lives, not us. Notice the promise attached to this. If we will do that, if we will then turn away from evil that we see in our lives as a result of seeing ourselves in light of who God is, he, notice it says that it will be healing to our flesh and, he, and, and uh, refreshment to our bones. Now, I don't think this verse is giving us a cure for arthritis, so just go ahead and get that out of your mind. I don't think that's what it means. But a lot of times when the Bible uses this kind of language about the inner parts, it's really talking about 
who we are in the depth of our being. It's talking about a wholeness, a completion of the soul. So when it uses even bodily uh, components like flesh or bones, it's talking about something even deeper than that. The promise here is that we, if we will try to know ourselves and know the Lord, we will receive the wholeness and the fullness in our being that we so desperately need. It's not very difficult to fill an empty stomach. We've got options just here in Turbyville after the service today. It's not very hard to fill an empty stomach, but you know what? It's very difficult to fill an empty soul. And so many people are looking to so many things to fill that hole. And they just can't do it because they're going about it the wrong way. They want blessedness. They want the happy life. They want the fullness, they would even say, that the Bible speaks of. But they're going about it the wrong way. Know yourself. Know yourself as you are in God's sight. Not the way you see yourself. Not the way others see, your, see you. But the way that God sees you. Notice as you go further here, two more things here. So we want, to, we want to listen closely. We want to love deeply, trust completely, know yourself. But we also want to give ourselves. We want to give ourselves. Notice verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now sometimes, uh, like where we are in a suburban context, pastoring, uh, verses like this are hard to explain because verses like this only make sense if you're in an agriculturally driven society. In the biblical world, that's what things were driven by, the rhythms of nature, agriculture. It was an agrarian society, we would say. And um, many of us living in more industrial type settings. But around here, you understand what, this is, what is being said here. The idea that there is a need in our lives for self-sacrifice. There is a need to give of ourselves to the Lord. This is where one of the dirty little lies of life kind of creep in. We make a lot of dangerous distinctions in life. Let me give you an example. So if you wake up in the morning and you've got your prayer list out, you've got your Bible, your cup of coffee, you're going to have your quiet time, we say, or your devotional time, and then... We kind of know God cares about that because it's spiritual. It seems spiritual. But then we close the Bible and then we get done praying and then we go to work. And it seems like we're entering a different world when we go to work. God don't care about that. He doesn't care about the Monday through Saturday stuff. He just cares about what's happening Sunday, what's happening Wednesday night. Bible's cool. God cares about that too. But he doesn't care about all these other messy things in day-to-day -day life. Sometimes we say, God doesn't care about my preparation. He just cares about my performance. So maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Uh, maybe you're uh, involved in the music ministry or the children's ministry. And maybe we don't put a lot of time into it. We just kind of show up and expect things to go well. Well, you know, as long as we just sort of put forth good effort when the time comes, God cares about that. He doesn't care about all the stuff that's happening on the side here. Or... Think about it like this. Again, this, this passage has a lot of financial aspects to it, talking about honoring the Lord with the wealth. Sometimes even good Christian people will say, well, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to give this 10% to the Lord, but then I'm going to do what I want to with the 90% that's left over. Well, didn't God give you that as well? God cares about it all because he gave it all to you. And he's going to be in the best position to give you the guidance of how to be a wise steward of everything he's given you. Everything. God cares about all of your life. And then again, this passage here obviously is calling attention to wealth and possessions. You know why God cares about your stuff? Because your stuff is an extension of you. If I went to your home this afternoon and crawled up in the attic or went down in the basement or went out in the storage room and just started pulling stuff out and kind of throwing it into a pile in the yard, I suspect things would get very unfriendly rather quickly. Say, what are you doing with my stuff? Have you used it in a while? Well, no. Were you going to do anything with it? Well, well no. Well, then why do you care? Because that's my stuff. Our stuff has a hold on us, doesn't it? 
Our stuff is an extension of who we are because it reflects what we value, what we think is important at any given point in time. And yeah, the allure kind of goes away and the, the shine comes off of things after a while, but we care about stuff. But here's the problem. You know, God doesn't care so much that you have stuff, but he doesn't want stuff to have you. And that's what happens so much in our lives, whether it's money or whether it's just any kind of material things that we own. But notice what happens when we give those things to the Lord and we entrust it to him. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your harvest, your produce, the best, the first. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't have any barns out there in Missouri. I don't have any vats. But I've got a wallet. I've got a bank account. I've got a home. I've got a basement. Um, I've got a, you know, you've, you've got cabinets in your home. The Lord will supply everything you need according to his riches and glory. That's what the book of Philippians says. Proverbs, many, many years before that, tells us that when we give to the Lord, when we give of ourselves to the Lord, he makes sure we have plenty. If you're, if you're not a believer, you know what the basis is for us Christians to talk like this? We believe that the God of heaven and earth gave of himself for us. We believe that God the Son came and gave his very life for us. He poured out everything. Every drop of sweat, every drop of blood, he did that for us. So when we give, we're not giving to gain brownie points with God as if he has some sort of system like that. We're giving at, out of, out of a, 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 a gratitude of heart. We're giving because we want to, not just because we have to. We want to. And that's a very different motivation for living and for giving. Notice the final principle here in verses 11 through 12. We need to know ourselves. We need to give ourselves. But we also need to submit ourselves. And I would dare say this is the most unpopular point of this kind of message because in these verses we're being reminded of the fact that we need self-restraint. Now we are in a cultural environment these days where that is the exact reverse of what we're being told. Our culture says express yourself. Be whoever you want to be. Shape your identity however you want people to see you. No, no boundaries, no limits. We're down on authority. We don't like authority. We see an abuse of authority and we just want to do away with the whole thing. Let me remind you parents. I imagine most of you believe God has given you some authority to raise your children. And yet I imagine no one here would say I'm a perfect parent. So do you quit parenting altogether? No, you keep at it albeit imperfectly. We need leadership. We need authority in society. We need civil government. We need these institutions. We need people to have authority and to use it well. But the most important authority in our lives is the Lord. And what this passage tells us is this. When the Lord is dealing with you, when the Lord is convicting you, when the Lord is restraining you, when the Lord is maybe disciplining you, there's some bad consequences coming from some of your actions. Don't chafe under that. Repent. Don't, don't, don't just sort of get angry about it. Just give yourself more fully to the Lord. Do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't be weary by his correction or reproof. Why? Because the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. We were uh, looking there in the Sunday school class at a, at, a, at a video clip about evangelism. Very good. And I use this illustration a lot. And it had a blind man walking toward a cliff. And it was, it was posing the question about how, how you might best help that blind man from not walking off the cliff. Well, here's the thing so many times we do. We will see people in life that we care about walking toward cliffs. And out of the sense of, well, you know, it'd be awkward to talk to them about their problems. It'd be awkward to get involved. We're just going to, and actually we show them that we don't really care about them because if we cared, we'd stand in between them and the ledge of the cliff. We'd at least try to stop them. That's not just true in evangelism, but even when you're dealing with people who you love and care about, especially people that are Christians, sometimes God uses other Christians to help others.
other Christians in this area of being corrected. And we need to humbly receive that correction when the Lord sends it our way. He's trying to help us. Discipline is evidence of love and affection and concern, and we need to receive that. We need to understand that God, as a God of love, is going to respond to us. And he's going to see our lives. And out of his holiness, he will deal with our sin, but in love he deals with us as well. He's not just trying to smack us down. Yes, he'll discipline us, but he really wants to pick us up and put our feet on solid ground. That's what he wants to happen in our lives. How might we sum this up? Sum up this path to blessedness or happiness in Proverbs 3. Listen to the Lord. You've got to start by listening to the Lord. Fear him. Trust him. Give everything to him. See yourself as you truly are. Give him your everything. Let him guide you. Even when that guidance sometimes requires a little bit of correction in the path. Allow him to do that. Above all else, if you want to have God's blessings in your life, you have to embrace Jesus Christ. There's no true blessing in life outside of salvation. It all starts there. It starts by embracing the greatest provision, the greatest blessing that God ever bestowed on mankind, a second chance. A second chance. When you look at the cross, you see the greatest second chance that ever was given. And maybe you need to receive that today. Maybe you need to come and pray and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and cast yourself upon his mercy, receive that salvation. Maybe for most of us this morning, it's just this matter of, Lord, help me to listen a little bit better. Help me, help me, Lord, to trust you with everything. Help me to trust you in every area of life for your glory. Let's pray together. Father, now as we conclude our service and as we reflect together during this time of invitation, we do pray that you will be honored and lifted up in the way that we listen, in the way we respond. We pray for your hand of blessing to be squarely planted on this church's life, but we know that that can't happen if we're not doing things your way. We know that in our households we can't be blessed unless we do things your way. We thank you that you have so designed your own economy that we do have some control over your blessings. We know you bless us many times when we don't deserve it, and sometimes we think we ought to get more when we get less. But, Lord, we know you are fair, you are just, and we simply want to follow your instructions on these matters. And so, Lord, now as we reflect together, and we just pray you'll help us to respond in obedience and in faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Grab your hymn books. We'll turn to page 342, Just As I Am. Sing the words, listen to the words with your heart, respond to the altar as you feel led. Everybody stand, please.
You may be seated. I want to make just a few announcements uh, before we move on. First of all, I want to thank uh, again Jackson for coming and being here this morning and sharing from God's Word what God laid upon his heart. And uh, I pray that, that we are receptive to what the uh, Lord has said to us through Jackson this morning. So we just thank you so much for being here this morning. We now are going to conduct a uh, local conference, and I just wanted to say quickly, any visitors we might have, that if you would like to dismiss yourself, you may do that. You may stay. That's fine, too, but I just wanted to give you an opportunity, if you needed to go, to give you an opportunity to get up and go at this point. Also tonight, um, Mr. Max Knowlton will be leading our service tonight. He'll be bringing the message. Just want to mention that to you. So we do have services here tonight, and now I'll ask Stephen to come up and... Uh, 